in the morning in the bus you can say like oh i'm f i feel like shit like i felt like shit in every morning basically it's, races are so long and it's not like often i i start feeling really good when i it actually start going really fast like until it goes full gas you don't really know sometimes if you're feeling good or not excellence is about standing and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, recently retired cyclist Antoine Duchesne brings us through his journey from his first memory on a bike when he was trying to beat his friend's dad to winning the Canadian Road Cycling Championship and being the perfect teammate to one of the top five riders in the Tour de France. Antoine tells us about his growth as a professional cyclist, the hectic schedule of pro riders flying between continents to take part in races, and the importance of having a strong and unified team to achieve great results. His journey was long and full of surprises since this first ride in Chicoutimi, Quebec. I went, uh, my sister started cycling the year before I did. Then by the end of the summer, I went out with a rented bike from the from her club, went with uh, one of my friend's father and my mom and me. And we went on like a, a pretty classic easy ride in uh in Chicoutimi and uh we we went along like the the main boulevard towards uh, the Parc des Laurentides it's like a back and forward on a big boulevard and uh at some point we the 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 father said go ahead and try to get away and at some point I look back and he bridged back straight at me when I was looking how far I was and he's like You never look back when you go in the front. You never look back, and that was pretty much the first advice I had in uh, on the on the road bike. Right. How how old were you at the time? Uh I think I was around fourteen. I think I start yeah for thirteen or fourteen because I started in in minimum one for full season. So yeah, minimum is around fourteen years old. So that was the summer summer before that. Okay, so you basically did never really rode your bike for fun. Basically, you <laughs> within 10 minutes, you were already in some sort of a competitive mindset, yeah. right? Uh, for a road bike, because I used to do, I used to ride my bike all over the place, but I don't think I have like a special memory of the first time. I, I, I've always ridden a bike since I'm, okay. I don't know, four years old, and I was doing dirt jump, and I was making, yeah, a lot of jump and playing. I was more like a skater guy skateboard guy and I, I was more heading towards like the freestyle of of riding and one summer my sister got into the road cycling and I never thought of it I didn't even know it existed I didn't know the Tour de France existed before 2004 so before I was like 14 years old so, okay so you were not from from a, a place I mean you're not from Montreal not, not even Quebec so I guess the competitive landscape Is, uh, is maybe less uh, interesting, I would say. Uh, where are you from? I guess Saguenay, you mentioned Chicoutimi. Uh, how, how, did you, how did you make it through, at the end of the day, a professional cyclist? What, what kind of brought you there? Do you have, was it your, your sister? Was it the, the, the father's friend that you, were, uh, that you were mentioning who really 
got you into into this this mindset of becoming you know who you became later uh i think it was a long path like i i started at first i, I wasn't really into it i prefer i was already playing basketball and I didn't got into like the original team that summer. And it was like, if I would have gotten the original team, I would have not cycled anymore. I would have gone into like that summer, summer camp, but I didn't get in. And I ended up having like a really great season and I had a lot of fun. And so I kept on going and then I grew up, I'm a really late bloomer. So at the beginning I was really bad. I was getting beat by my sister, by the girl. I was the guy like in the local races, guys were always starting before the girl, like five minutes. And I was always getting dropped and cut by the girl and dropped by the girl. So that's how my cycling career started. And then I, I grew, I, I really grew a lot, like one feet in a year. So I ended up like going from the smallest kid to one of the tallest guy. So then I became, I started becoming better and better. And then one of the best in Quebec. And then I went to junior. I was one of the best in Canada. Then went to Europe on my junior, on my second year junior in the French team where I was racing with Arnaud Demar. And that's kind of, then kind of all, everything got started pretty much over there as a junior. When I went to Europe, I was, uh, at a decent finish at world championship. And then kept on going in with the national team for the the three years that followed that in, in Europe until I I got a contract uh, pro by my last year U23. Okay, so how is there a specific moment you can pinpoint where you went from you know being the, this kid from northern Quebec to hey, I can be a professional and I'll, I'm going to move to Europe? Is there like a specific race, a specific moment where you know this really hit your mind as I can make that happen or, or was it just more like you said, like a long, you know, two, three year process uh, of realizing your potential growing and, and then you know, starting beating the other guys from the, from the region. Uh, it was, uh, there's not really a moment. It's kind of always, it's always been the dream, but it's kind of the dream. I quick, I, I kind of quick quit on many times. <laughs> I think like many athletes, there's so many downs and I've, I was not like the, like when I was, I don't know, 15, 18, I was not like the best horse you would have put your money on. Like I, I wasn't winning all the races in Quebec. Yes. But like in the world, I was just another decent rider. I was in the, like, uh, the biggest rising star. So Yeah, it, it, it kind of, and I had some issues, some health issues on my first year, U23. Then I kind of grew up a lot on, on that in between years. So it took me like another, uh, like, and I gained like, I don't know, 15 pounds of muscle and upper body and bones. So to get like that, that watt per kilo back to balance, it took me quite a while. And, And then I, I, I don't know, I kind of always kept believing and just kept trying and trying and being turned down and kept trying. And eventually I got like the stagiaire contract with the, with Spider-Tech. And if I didn't win that race, I didn't do, I had like many objectives, many goals on that summer. And I kind of failed on all of them until the last one. And I would. I remember having a chat with my dad and being like, fuck, if, 
if if I screw that race again, I'm done. Like it's I'm I'm getting I'm 20 years old. I've been trying. You've helped me a lot. And if I don't make it on on that day, it's uh, yeah, I'll go I'll go to university like every normal kid, and I'll I'll do something else. And then I do like a incredible race, finish third. Um, I win the national championship and against all odds and in the parking lot, basically I get the offer to go stagiaire with spider tech and I do a pretty good program with them. And unfortunately I sign with them. And at the end of the year, the team fold. So I fall back in with, to go race with, uh, Axel Merckx, the Devo team, which was Bontrager cycling team and lift strong team before that. And at the end of that year, I, I signed with Europe car and then, and then I was, uh, and then the last year happened, the last 10 year happened. Okay. Okay. So basically that race, when you finished third, is probably your pivotal moment where it was kind of, you know, if it works, then I keep going. If it doesn't, then well, back to, I don't know, the school, <laughs> back to bench. Yeah, uh, because in this sport, you cannot make it, make it alone. Like you need to, you need to be racing on the, Sorry about that. No problem. You need to be racing uh, on a team. Like mm -hmm. you, you cannot go to big races by yourself. So it's always that matter of finding that contract and putting your foot into the door and having the chance to, to grow and make it. And there's a uh, word Canadian. There's not like, it's all about contact mainly. So it's mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you have more opportunity when you're from another country. So for, for us Canadian that back in the day, didn't have many, many big, uh, appeal for, for team, for Euro team to be like, oh, we don't really need a Canadian in our team that mm -hmm. doesn't have a sponsor or whatever. The only team was basically Europe car who was what Garno as a clothes manufacturer. So that's basically how I got the in and by by that contact and for Garno was giving a big sponsorship it was like a big help for for, for him it was important to have a, a Canadian because David Veyer was taking his uh his retirement so kind of filled out that spot since at the at that time I was pretty much yeah, the 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 best the best young Canadian the best uh espoir for for Canada Okay, so at, at the end, before you turn pro, you basically register to every single race that you can kind of on your own to prove who you are, hoping to get that one contract or that first that first contact, the foot in the door, like you said. And then at this point, if you sign a contract with the pro team, then you have, let's say, at least one year of a couple races where you can, again, prove yourself. But at the before then, it's really up to you to grind it out until you find, you know, that person that will believe in you. Yeah, but I mean, you always have small, smaller team there. Back in the day, there was a, there was like better, a much better calendar, race calendar in the U.S. and in America. So that's all right. <laughs> Antoine retired, but is still super busy and super uh, uh, famous. Yeah, that, that's, my from... that's my wife. That's my wife. Okay. Well, you're famous in your family. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh i've been uh yeah I, i was always in smaller team and we were doing i was i, I was racing with the, the garno development team that they they had like for i don't know for almost like 15 or 20 years they had like a, 
a decent development team and uh i was racing i was racing for them and we're doing the the calendar in canada and a little bit in the us and i was doing all, all every year i've done like project with the national team going over to europe and doing bigger race with uh under the national band and that's that's kind of how you get into those better races and as a u23 there's the nation cups pro there's the nation cups uh series so you have those big race with the national team that mainly all the best in the world race those races so that's that's kind of how you get seen by the pro team okay perfect so you get to europe car at some point it's something like 2013 uh, well yeah i, I signed in 2013 and i i raced the first season in 2014 Okay, so that's your first officially kind of pro season, right? Yeah, but the year before I was with Bontrager where it was, yeah, pro Conti, so not pro world tour, but we were doing pro races and paid for it. Okay, so at this point, you know you, you're going to make that your career. Um, how, how, what happens, you know, that first year, um, I checked your, there's a, a, an interesting website that's called Pro Cycling Stats and basically yeah. tracks every single race that you took, how what your result was, uh, pretty much average speed, maybe the temperature of the day. Yeah, yeah like this, this, this website is incredible. Yeah, and then, and then you have, I look right now at 20, uh, 2013, well, 2014, you just go you know through different continents and you take a, a two-day trip and then you're in the US and then you're back in Spain and then you're, in Canada for the national championship. How, how do you manage this? Because at the end, like you say, you have your professional team and then you have the national, I mean, when you represent Canada, how do you manage such a, a crazy schedule? And because it probably you know, hurts your body, you have a family, you have friends and you have to travel across the world and you have to train and you have to take those races. So what's, what is it really like to be a professional at this point, 2014 to you know, 2022? Well, at this point, I didn't really know what the, I mean, the, the, the structure of our training and, uh, the, in the team I was, was really not what it is today. Like I was really much left by myself for, for most of it. I hadn't a coach in Canada and yeah, I was doing my training, but I was kind of wing it a lot. Like, uh, I went to, I remember that year I went back and forth. I signed really late with the team they were waiting to get like their the license world tour and if they had the the world tour license they could get two more spots so i was like i i think i got the contract on december 3rd and december 10th i was uh, over to spain for the training camp so i landed the day before the training camp and we did like 35 hour week we drank every night <laughs> training like hell and then straight back to Quebec for Christmas. I was sick like a dog in Christmas, went to a cruise with my girlfriend for New Year's Eve and then flew straight from there to from back to France. And yeah, I had another training camp there and I was living at the service course. And yeah, then I, I raced the beginning of the season. I think it was in Mallorca and then I was going over to tour of Langkawi in Malaysia. And from Malaysia, I flew back to Montreal for like a week or so because I had my girlfriend there, then Crazy. came back to do the classic. Like today, you would never, never, never see that. Like it would, but back in the day, it was like, yeah, do come to the race and do whatever you want in between. Like we don't give a shit. Like they weren't tracking or training. They weren't tracking whatever. They're just like, yeah, do, do the best you can. And I was racing well. Like, I mean, 
I know today with the body I have and my health and everything, I would be completely fucked doing things like that. Like it would have been unimaginable to do to do this, and the team would never accept that. Like it would be there's no there's no way you you go over there do a cruise do it'll be it would be out of the question. But I don't know that. And then I came back and I was doing the the whole classic campaign, and then I had a huge crash in the Roubaix hit fell into a pole and i crushed like all my nerves and my my pubic and everything like it was quite bad so i went back to quebec for rehabilitation trained there and went back over to france like i yeah it was uh i don't know how i don't know how i did it but yeah the, the level was really much it was much lower back in the day than today okay so it really seems like the schedule was just hectic up to you at the end as long as you were showing up for the race it was pretty much do whatever you want outside of that and i guess that probably evolved since then um you know th- there's that that uh, formula one um uh, documentary on netflix where you see mm-hmm. those guys you know they have such a precise schedule um just to race themselves the team around that but yeah. it feels like the driver are a bit more loose but when it comes to you it seems like you were absolutely loose and like just just show up 10 minutes before the race here just race and go back home and do whatever you want but uh, you have if you race one of the more uh sorry yeah you have probably one of the most uh, exhausting sports in the world i mean marathon and, and cycling are probably the two where you know your heart rate goes the highest and when you you consume the most calories then i guess you have to have such a I mean, now you should have such a strict schedule and whether it's it's food, uh, sleep and just your overall uh, lifestyle, I guess. But it seems like the way you describe it, it was the complete opposite of that, right? And it, it was just 10 years ago at the end. Yeah, but it evolved so much in that 10 years. Like it's like, yeah, when uh, like even especially I think in France, I think like back in those like Ineos and well, Sky, were probably much more advanced in the the training wise but the team that we were were really really old school and like we were one of the only team who didn't have real coaches in the team everybody kind of had their own or was doing their thing and we didn't have a platform we didn't have like a uh, like a power meter sponsored by the team you had to buy it for yourself if you wanted it wow but yeah it was really really And for nutrition, it was, yeah, it was completely like, it was completely stupid. Like the old school stuff that you can hear, like you don't eat, you eat salad and you drink water and you sleep. And yeah, that's how you lose weight. Yeah, we were losing weight, but we were getting sick and tired. So it wasn't efficient at all. And that's, yeah, yeah, but yeah. And just in with, yeah, within a few years, it really changed quite a lot because Yeah, it evolved so much and now today everything is tracked we have like the, we train sometime with the glucose uh traction tractor with their the, the, the there's the the, the the ketone there's uh this everything is followed every training has been analyzed and commented by the coaches and everything is followed through with everyone in the team the doctor the this and that so everything yeah now everything is tracked everything is calculated and it It would be impossible. It would be impossible to perform unless you 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 kind of go in that way. And I'm like at my last year, I was the best I've ever been. Like you keep everyone around me, like of my age and even older, they keep getting better because they're just doing their work 
better in a better way. And I felt much more and more, I, I feel more healthier than I ever felt in my whole career, my last year, my last few years, because I was doing everything more properly. It's it's crazy to hear that. So yeah, I, I guess the probably the team around you grew, right? Because probably 10 years ago, you had what uh, a physiotherapist and a doctor, and now you probably have a data analyst, uh, analyst for, like you said, glucose tracking, and you probably have all sorts of, you know, doctors in every single field to, you know, analyze every part of your body. And you probably have a nutritionist, you probably have all those guys, I guess, surrounding yeah. you and probably, you know, the bigger the team, the, the more people are, are surrounding and, and helping. Like, I guess that's what ch is changing the sport and probably also why we see, you know, competitions that are being uh, faster and faster. And whether it's Tour de France or other smaller races, you see, new type of athletes they're 20 years old you know like the pogachar of this world who are just out of this world right in terms of performance and it's yeah. probably not just their talent and it's how they train but it's probably everything that's around them they probably have like a, a whole army just to uh you know make sure that their body is at the top every single time they they ride a bike yeah and for me it just makes sense that today kids well, younger guy perform much better than it used to because in cycling, we used to say like the peak performance is 28, 32-ish. And after like five or six, seven years into the world tour to get that engine and get the, the, the feel of it. But in most of the sport, like you had your peak early on, early in your early 20s, when you get like two, three years into the, the, the pro series, then you got like, you got the vibe, how it works and, Because you're, like I said, I was able at 20 years old to travel the whole world, world, not train properly, not eat properly, drinking probably too much, and I was performing. So, as your your body is so strong and he can recover and get through better, he can get through the training better, he can get through the crashes better, he can get through hangover better, he can get through like so much more when you're 20 than when you're 30 or 35. Yeah. So if you do everything properly from a younger age and you, it makes sense that at 22, if you've been doing it properly since you're, I don't know, you're 16, today kids are like pro, you, I, I, I talk with kids that are 15, 16 years old and I'm like, well, you seem that you know everything already. That's, uh, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's completely insane because me at 32, that was like the biggest at 30, how old am I? At 31, it was the biggest like weight on my shoulder, all of that, like that mental, that mental charges that you had. There's so many things to think about and follow through. And it's just like, yeah, it, 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 it's a it's a lot, it's a lot. There's not much place for for anything else after that when you if you want to do everything properly. Yeah, it probably removes I guess somehow a part of the fun because the way you you explain, you know, your first year as a pro seems like it was so much fun and, and racing was kind of that tiny drop, you know, that that stuff that you had to do, but the rest was so much fun when today like you say those 15, 16-year-old guy guys they're already at this young age machines pretty much right they're machines yeah. that are being programmed to win those races in two three years from now so probably looking back they'll be in 10 years from now they're like oh at 15 i was already you know in such yeah. a mindset that nothing else was approved except race sleep eat well pretty much yeah i think it'll make like better cyclists but younger career i think in the, in a way it's it's all right like it's weird that in cycling most of like 
the guy make 10, 15, 20 years long career. It's pretty rare in, in most of the sport. Usually guys who make really long careers are like once, once, uh, once in a while, you have someone that make it through for a long time. But like, uh, I think it'll be more like a shooting star. Like you'll get kids that are really good, really good, really focused for four five, six years. And then they're like, okay, now I want to do something else. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you don't have the maturity, I reckon, to deal with all that stuff you have to deal with at, at such a young age. You just do you just do it. And at one point you realize, like, fuck, that's a that's a lot. And I'm, I'm tired of this. I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see in a couple so of years. But but it, it seems to be to be moving in all sorts of sports where you see, like you said, younger and younger people becoming champions. But you'll also see people retiring at pretty crazy, you know, I mean, young age or Now I'm I'm 29. I'm gonna turn 30. But when I see people retiring and they're younger than me, I'm like, oh wow, yeah. that's incredible. Probably because they just they're just exhausted and they went through the fun, they went through the success, and then they're like, you know, I'm I'm out and I'm just gonna do something else now because yeah. they've consumed everything they had in in themselves to um, you know to perform, and after that, it's just gonna be a, a nightmare they have to continue, I guess. And you're yeah. also pretty young. I mean, you, like you said, 31. You were thinking about your age, but not many. Uh, athletes will keep going just either for the fun of it or either because they you know want to win more or because they need more money whatever but you decided to retire quite early which i guess we can you know talk about uh, um uh, slightly later uh, in, in this discussion um one I mean, quick question for you so reading about you i saw that you had um back to back two years you missed two uh tour de france when you were on the i guess you were supposed to be on the list Uh, yeah. One, so I'm going to li- read my notes because I had to translate it in English and even in French. I don't know what it means. It was a left iliac artery endofibrosis, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so, when you get, when you get the, it's, it's, it's really common now in cycle. It's mainly common in cyclists. It's uh, from the bad, from, it's a mix. They don't know exactly, exactly the cause of it, but it's mainly because of a bad posture where you, you kind of make uh you squeeze your iliac artery, which in like, it's in your hip, basically it goes through from your, like it's split, your artery split and your belly button goes into your two legs and you get that split in your, in your hip pretty much at this air on this region. So with, uh, on the cycling position, you're basically, mm-hmm. you're, you're really leaning over and you closing that, you closing on that, that artery and like you were talking about the high heart rate we get so you get you're you're pumping quite a lot of uh, of blood a minute like you you can get close to 25 liter a minute when you're full gas on so when you do it with the bad bad posture using most of the time i think you we're using we're not using the right muscle at the right moment for the right thing so that make a muscle too strong and another muscle too weak, And that gives that bad posture with the high eye flow and everything. And at the end, it kind of, after a long time, it blocks your artery. And when That's you want to get, so- when you want to get up your heart rate up with that big blood flow, well, there's not enough room for that 25 liter of, of blood. So it, it, you start having a numbing feeling in your leg and you just, you cannot push anymore. Feel your legs kind of feel dead. So you're wow. you're really limited by by that. Well, so pretty much that's I'm just uh, uh, switching gears here. You mean 25 liters per minute is like four times the amount of blood in your 
your, your blood pretty much goes four times per minute through your heart. Sort of. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I guess the average is what, five or when we're sitting I think here when talking, you're, when you're, probably... like right now, we're probably at five, in between four or six liter a minute. Okay. So it's four times, it, it you pump four times more uh, yeah. blood when you're in, in high. Wow. That's insane. Also. <laughs> um, so yeah, you missed that Tour de France, I guess, 2018 or 2019? 19. Because of that. 19 and then the following yeah, year I, you I, had had, I was going in yeah i was going into uh, the list and then i yeah i i started having that in the early spring and i had to get that surgery early on the summer and then it was uh yeah it was off the chart and then the second year i got the i was i was getting told that i was going to the tour and the same day i i was not finishing not finishing the stage in the Dauphiné because I was feeling terrible I was feeling really sick and it ended up being the a mononucleosis so the Epstein bar virus so I was off like yeah I was then the season was completely off because it was the covid year so the tour was uh, that was in mid mid august basically so I had to completely stop the season okay so, so how do you keep the motivation up when you know you have those two consecutive years missing Tour de France and maybe your specific goal, let's say on a, on an average year was not necessarily the Tour de France itself, but maybe another race, but how do you, you know, recover from that and how do you keep the motivation going to recover, retrain in a way to reach the top level again? Um, and was the Tour de France your, you know, big objective in every year or did you have, you know, sometime the, the, uh, Italian uh, tour, the, the the Vuelta, or you know, one day races. What kind of what's kind of your mindset when you're going through those uh, those, those tough times? Well, you think of quitting for sure. Uh, yeah, those are tough time completely. Like you're you wondering why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, what's the point of it? Uh, how are you gonna get over this? Is it possible? Is it the end? And yeah, and then you you start getting a little bit better. You try to I made huge like look back on my career and maybe some mistake I could have done and or and what's to improve and how can I work differently and do I still got it inside of me or not? And then if the if the then the answer for me was yes, I I think I can get over this. I think I can be better than I was. I'm sure like I had all of this bullshit because, and, and I didn't have like result or goals that I wanted because all the little issues I could have had in my career. And I know I can do, if I have like a clean slate and I can make it around like injuries and sickness and all this stuff, I'm sure I can be better. So that's my goal was like, after that, when I decide to go, I'm like, I want to, I want to reach my full potential i want to see what it is and then then i'll i'll see what i do and yeah basically it took me two years to see it and i stopped <laughs> okay okay so you still did uh participated in the tour de france uh last year how how was it that, that did you know at this point that it will be your last uh tour de france which is probably you know the world's biggest uh competition for cyclists and how did you approach it i mean at I read that you're kind of close to Thibaut Pinot. Uh, he had pretty, you know, uh, high objectives. Also, David Gaudu. You, you've been around, you know, people that were racing to actually win uh, the Tour de France. So, how how did you approach this uh, this race, and what was it like for you to, you know, if you knew and other people didn't uh, didn't know, how did you uh, did you approach that? 
Well, it was uh, in December. The goal was we. I really want to do it, and we knew we were going to have a child in in late April. So it was kind of the deal with my wife that we said, okay, it's it may be your last chance to do it, but it'll be hard. I'll basically miss out on the first two three months ish of my baby's life. So it was okay. Do we make that bet, and then maybe I retire after that, or we make different arrangements? At that time, I wasn't sure I would quit this, quit my career. But yeah, it was sure. Like we kind of basically both signed on the deal. Okay, it'll be tough, but we wanna we wanna try it. And yeah, my wife been incredible during all of those month in her pregnancy and everything to 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 make that happen. And yeah, the mindset. The closer I got, the the Especially when my my baby was born, I knew it would be probably the end. I I didn't see how being like away so much, leaving my wife here alone with a baby would be possible. So, yeah, coming up with this race, knowing that it would be probably and eventually definitely my last tour. Yeah, it was really special. I really enjoyed it. I I felt yeah stronger than I ever been. We had an incredible team. It was, it was, it's still so many great memory, and I think about it a lot. And uh, yeah, it was a crazy month. We we did one of the best results the team had in quite a while. Now in the tour, uh, we made we made our our goal basically that nobody thought David could could make it to uh, that top five fourth place. The goal was the podium, but. Yeah, that fourth place was actually really great for us and we did a good good yeah, it was everything was perfect about that tour. And so yeah, so David finishing so high in the in the rankings. So you said that was an objective. The podium was initially the objective. How much do you think himself, the person, the cyclist, uh has to do in that that and uh, that that ranking at the end of the Tour de France versus the team surrounding him? So like you said, you the team overachieved in a way um how what part of that would you you know think is is also thanks to you uh the fact that he, he ended up so high uh did you, you know feel i mean you or the team feel like you helped him you know in the the, the toughest race keeping him you know um protecting him in the 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 mountains and stuff like that how how big is the impact of a team around a leader like uh, like him or like Thibaut? oh it's huge like especially on the grand tour Like you cannot, you cannot do it without without the whole team because it's so long, it's so many days, and everybody have a be a bad day and a better day, and one day someone gonna show up a bit more to step in someone else's shoes because he have it, he's having a bad day or he crashed yesterday and today feel he's feeling bad and so. And it cannot be always the same one that step in another one. She was like, everybody has to give to give it out every day, giving the best that they can give on that specific day. And and that give like David had pretty a few bad days during the tour. But when you see that your whole team every day they give their heart out to make the the best for you, like everybody works in the same exact objective. So him, he cannot drop and be ah fuck. This is my bad day. Fuck it. I, 
I sit up and I lose 10 minutes, then every, like every, he has this on his mind every single pedal stroke. He cannot fuck it up. Like there's so many people that's working for him to make him, mm-hmm. but everyone. So yeah, at the end is fourth place. Is we we all feel it. Of course, in the media, you don't. We don't have uh, the same uh, the same v- uh, visibility or the same paycheck. But like we don't like. For me, I feel like we, yeah, we finished. I was there for, for that fourth place, and I feel like I had a massive impact on it. Yeah, so the the team finished uh, finished for, for fourth. Sorry, in in a way, right? It's not just yeah. David, it's well, we the finished whole team second best. Well, we actually finished second best team in the tour. Oh, did you? Okay, yeah. So yeah. I guess uh, how is it calculated? First three, uh, first three of every roles, stage. I guess? Yeah, first three of every stage. So we finished second by not so much. And yeah, fourth, uh, fourth uh, for the GC guy, and uh, I think we had seven, seven of us were were uh, or six of us were in the top sixty of the tour. Well, That's I was sixty first. Nice. I was the sixty first, but I say sixty for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stay the first. So, the first of the race doesn't count. So, so man, mo- most of the, of the team were like, yeah, we were really a solid group, and we showed like in every stage we were up there and racing as a team. So and especially today in this, the way cycling is working, like you have to be like, if you're alone, not protected, you don't have your place in the front of the peloton and you're not respected no matter who you are. You need to be surrounded by your team and being lined up and having a guy who takes the win for you the whole day, every day. That's that's great. So it's it really is a, uh, yeah, a sports team, like a a sports um, a team sport sorry <laughs> it really is a yeah. team sport the only days you you compete on your own is pretty much you know when you're uh, um when you're competing for your own country in a way and or, or in the olympics maybe um but at the end of the day what you really see on the tour de france is you need a strong team and maybe the 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 one who wins the tour de france isn't the strongest individual but is the one who was surrounded by the you know the the best lieutenant team in a way yeah yeah completely and, and how do you guys so you, you mentioned like if david has a couple bad days is it something you first of all that you feel you know before the 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 race you know in the bus when you're kind of a uh, doing the brief of the day and is that something that you guys are transparent about like hey today i just feel it's going to be a bad day so let's just you know brace for impact and be ready for that and and minimize the the negative impact of that day or is it something that you discovered during the race and you have to in a way, discreetly communicate with your uh, with your teammates because everybody is here in the peloton. So I guess you know people can uh, uh, can hear what you guys are saying between yourself and and take advantage of that to to uh, to beat you. Uh, most of the time, no, we we gonna we gonna know when it's happening because well, some like in the morning in the bus, you can say like, oh, I'm I feel like shit uh, this morning, but. Pfft like it's so hard like i felt like shit in every morning basically like <laughs> you, races are so long and it's not like one sprint so often i i start feeling really good when i it actually start going really fast like until it goes full gas you don't really know sometimes if you're feeling good or not so okay. you can even if you have like a bad morning or like i'm feeling stiff or this or that it we always give ourselves a chance like, well, we'll see in two or three hours how it goes. And then we mm-hmm. can say, okay, I'm feeling like shit. But for him, for David, 
it doesn't matter if it feels like shit or not. It's like you're gonna give it all and you cannot blow up. That's it. That's that's why you're here. There, but like let's say me, I'm supposed to do a work in maybe a later part or earliest part, or we're three guys supposed to do like sort of the same job today. If I feel I'm really feeling like shit, I'll go like, hey guys, I'll do the I'll start it. I'll start the job. I'll do that first, that first job, that first work and then because i'm feeling really bad today so i'll start earlier and then probably blow up earlier than them and trying to protect everyone as far as i can on that bad day so at least i'm 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 useful for something and okay for him for him it's useful. like it's yeah you're in a bad day but you gotta make it you gotta make it and push your ass as far as you can okay and and in the case where in a day where he's really feeling bad, what happens? Like, oh, everybody just has to regroup and we kind of protect him from the wind, from the other guys. We just remain so, you know, focused on every single other, you know, contender, contender to make sure we try to blow up his, his attack if he's trying to attack or, you know, it's really an army that you're creating around the, the leader. Uh, but is there, yeah, so you mentioned you communicate that, but you can't, you know, be so transparent about that because the other one, you know, might hear so it, it's really a, a job of being uh you know transparent enough with your teammates but at the same time not being too obvious to the other ones that you're having a bad day so it's it's a lot of strategy i guess that goes into this when your heartbeat is you know 180 and up so it's a, it's a slight it's an interesting mix of you know your brain working strategically and your your legs still still turning uh still turning on the bike yeah but for, for usually except if it's a completely terrible day and he's completely zo- losing it when he's gonna blow up usually there'll be one or two guy left with him or none because when he's blowing up there's only 10 guys left in the race and he's just have he's just gonna have to fight for losing the least time as possible and if he's lucky, what happened this year on the on his bad day was often with Valentin Madouas or Michael Storer. And when he was blowing up, then he had them to keep like, okay, let's keep it up. They weren't a good day. And they were able to keep protecting him and trying to maintain that small gap that was increasing. So they so without them, it's much easier when you're alone to be like, ah, okay, fuck this. I'm having a bad day. I'm feeling like shit. My stomach hurt. My leg hurt. Everything hurt. Fuck that. But when you have two teammates that are really tired as well, are there fighting and pulling out and trying to keep you maintaining that gap as close as possible, then there's no way you can quit. And then you have the director and you hear that pushing through and that helping like, yeah, yeah, go, go, go. And, all of that and maintaining that gap and trying to encourage and be like, let's go. You, you still in your, this guy just blew up as well. Come on, Garen Thomas is blowing up. Try to bridge up, bridge the gap with him and that sort of stuff. And that's how you, you try to help him on that bad day. Okay. And, and one question about, I would say the behind the scenes, because when you, when you watch on TV, Tour de France or any other race, uh, the, the cameras always remain on the, you know, when it's a tough uh, stage, it remains on the 10, you know, in the front, uh, the ones that are, you know, fighting for winning that stage or winning the race itself. Um, 
when you did your part of the job, you say, and then you blow up and you have 120 kilometers left and three uh, category one <laughs> climbs. In, in well, the, usually there's in less the... than that when I blow up. I hope so. <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> In the, let's say the worst of the worst races because you have you know sometimes five back to back or let's say w when you start you know when you blow up and and you have let's say 40 kilometers and half a climb remaining uh and you, you're really i guess you push to the limits and then it's the moment where your legs are just not following anymore let's say the 180 remaining cyclists how what brings you to the to the finish line uh when you feel like you did your job which is you know bringing your leader to a to a good finish what happens, you know, between the other guys, like, oh, now our job is done, but we still have to go to the finish line and still be within the time time frame that's allowed. Because if you're too slow to get to the finish line, then you'll be disqualified and you can't finish the the race. What? How does that work? It's, it's something we never see pretty much, you know, on TV and all that. Yeah. How does it work within a group of, hey, pretty much all of all hundred of us, we did our job. Now we just have to get to the finish line. You know, we won't win that stage. What what happens? How, what's the What's the the feeling it like? Always how depends. Do you like you said, it always depends when when it's gonna happen. If we, like we, let's say we start in a, in the big mountain, so it's it's gonna be full gas in the first climb for to make the breakaway, and the climber is gonna get away. So if you get drop in that climb, usually it's always uh, after a few stage, especially uh, when you get into the second and third week, you basically next to the same guys every day every like in the same sort of climb these guys blow up pretty much at the same time and these guys at the same time and and on and on so you're always gonna have the the first groupetto which is the sprinter and their poisson pilot or the injured guy or people who are having a bad day so you have like let's say a group of 15 20 guys that pretty much are blowing up and they're not even these guys usually they're not even trying they hit like a climb like let's say they're like okay there's 50k left i know if we blow up at this base at that climb we stay together we ride fast in the valley we're gonna make the cut so basically when you blow up or you sit up usually this like when you know you're not gonna make it you try there's a few guys they're always gonna regroup pretty much at the same time and they they ba basically their job now is to make it everybody on time in the finish so that's kind of the the, the state of mind you get in so sometimes you're stressed for it. So you have to be concentrated and everybody rotate in the valley. We go the downhill full gas and the climb easier so nobody get dropped. And like, like this year, me, I was blowing up. Usually there was 50, 60, 80 guys left in the front. So I end up like in the basically mid first third of the peloton blowing up. And I blow up. I'm pretty fucked, but not dead. So I know my, basically when I was blowing up is when Jumbo or they start, like there's a new temple that's getting into the, the, the mountain. So it's like, I'm still feeling fine at the pace we were going, but now as they just go, they go a notch to bring it, to close it to 30 guys left. So then mm -hmm. I blow up at this pace. So I just kind of keep, keep my pace. And after a while we end up like five, 10, 15, 20 guys. And then we end up being a group and you just basically roll through the finish. Like you don't feel sometimes you have a bad day. So you just get on with it. You do, you keep riding, you try to stick with that group because it's much easier to stay in the group, you keep drinking. And yeah, you're, I, and after like, basically after 30 minutes, 40 minutes that you've been dropped, 
then there the tension you kind of recovered from that attack from the early on race and now you start talking a bit with the other guys in the group and you just may if you feel good you pull a bit more to help everyone and if you feel like shit you hide at the back and you try to survive until the finish line cool so yeah it's it's another race within the race itself in a way yeah um, interesting so i think we have about 10 10 to 15 minutes left because i think you'll have to, uh, to jump on something else afterwards i have a few questions actually that are related to your sport to your career but are stuff that i personally don't know about and i guess you know the the listeners won't necessarily know about either uh one thing is so you retired uh you're you're quite young um i'm interesting to see first of all what's next and second of all it's and if you're not comfortable talking about that let me know it's How much does a, a cyclist make? We know that, I mean, you win the Tour de France, you make uh, hundreds of thousands, whatever. But when you're, um, when you're, you know, the lieutenant, the perfect lieutenant, and you don't necessarily win the race, but you, you, you participate into Tour de France and all that, what's, what's your kind of career earnings in a way? And, and does that make you comfortable financially to, you know, move on to your reconversion, re reconversion plans, sorry, uh, you know, without stressing about money, um, even though you didn't make a million winning the Tour de France? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the first question was, uh, what's my plan for retirement? Well, right now I have uh, a few plans and what's next is mainly uh, enjoying time, enjoying my time with uh, my kid, uh, trying to process my last 15 years of my life that I've dedicated everything and i haven't jumped on everything yet i have um, ideas and small project i know eventually what i what i'll do but right now i didn't want it to jump in and fulfill that big hole mm -hmm. that i uh, that, uh, that i've created taking out cycling in my life so i'm trying to process that and yeah there's good and bad days and uh Yeah, uh, yeah. Right now, there's uh, the the project is uh, taking care of my family, and I'm running a lot, and I'm enjoying that. Trying to mainly fighting of not getting injured because <laughs> I'm running yeah. like a cyclist, and uh, yeah, that's been quite difficult. <laughs> and and it's, uh, it seems like uh, check your Instagram. It seems like you said you removed cycling from your life, but at the end of the day, you seem to be exercising as much if not more <laughs> as you used to like running trailing probably keep cycling a bit uh, so i guess you know it, it yeah i'm never yeah, i, I main, took right? i took the i took the pro athletes out of my life but i'm still okay. i'm never gonna take sport out of it I, it's what at the moment it's what makes me feel the best like when i'm playing outside training or whatever like i don't follow anything and i just trying to have fun and, and yeah, learn new sport. I'm learning backcountry ski and running and I'm enjoying that a lot. And yeah, I keep riding a little bit when I'm injured, <laughs> when my feet or my shin splint are killing me. So, uh, and um, yeah, yeah, there'll be, eventually there'll be project coming up, but right now I, I basically wanted to not take anything yet. I, I huge that will take too much of your time, I guess. Well, you from every, to, like you said, process 
and recover in a way. Yeah, but it's hard to do that. Like it's much easier. Like it's hard because it gets your head spinning a lot. And yeah, most of the people, it's like yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to feel that that vo the that that hole or that emptiness. That and you jump on another project that you don't know if uh, you like it, but you just don't think about it, and you just keep on moving for moving forward, forward, forward. And yeah, most of the time from from experience i've seen that it might not be the best the best case and right now basically having what everybody would dream i i i can i can do i can yeah take care of my kid train when i want cook food from my family every night and uh yeah relax so i'm taking that time off and i'm enjoying it trying to enjoy it right. And I actually read, I think, on one of your posts that one of your main goal after your career was to uh, teach your kid how to make fart noise with his mouth or something like that was one of your posts, <laughs> which made me laugh quite out loud. So I was wondering if that was going well so far. If he's yeah, getting he's, any he's progress. Getting actually, he's getting pretty good. Okay. Fart noise or plenty other noise. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, yeah, it's yeah, a great it's skill. Quite a life. Fun. It's quite a fun. <laughs> Uh, cool. So yeah, the second question was one of the questions. So I don't know if, if that's something that you either want slash can, you know, cover or just yeah, yeah. touch on. I mean, most of the, like usually team, team budget, you get usually in average team, like the, you'll have like two or three leader that are making or in between one to three million. And I think the best, the, the best paid is five, six million a year. And then it goes down like you and like in our team, you'll have like maybe one or two guys over a million and a half, two million. Then it goes to like you have like the the best guy, the best teammate who can win sometime that'll be or win like twice or three times a year. So they'll be in between 600 and a million. Then you'll have like some of the best teammate, the best worker, really strong in their asset. And in specific way, they'll be around 300 to 500. Then you'll have like a mid-range of good rider in between 100 grand to 250. And then you have youngers, the, the young kids that are, they'll, they'll be in between. You basically, I, I don't know, start at... I think the minimum is uh, forty-seven or forty-three thousand a year. So usually Neo Pro is going to be there, but now we we seen that like the big the big Pepite can be signed over uh, half a million a year now. So before and, and having that's, race that's, Pro, yeah. Okay. Wow. So that's a, in a way a base salary. That's in a way paid by the sponsor itself. So you were with Europe Card and Groupama FDG and stuff like that. So these are the brands that will pretty much give the budget to the team. And that will be yeah. some sort of a base salary, whether it's in a way, whether you race or not, whether you win or not. And then on top of that, you will have the prize money if you win a stage, if you win a race, if you win all of those other, other stuff. Is that yeah, but the way that prize money are made is... Uh you don't get much actually like depends like in our team we had like in the contract we had prize money contract but the prize money from the races that it's publicly that you can see like oh you win the tour de france it's five 400 grand mm -hmm. or so but like that like let's say let's make ten thousand for like most of the race for one day race uh on the rate stage race it's 10 or fifteen thousand. 
So you you have a percentage that go to the the CPA that is the association for the athletes. You have a percentage that goes to the UCI. You have a part that is taxes and then it goes to the team and then depends on how the team build it that the 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 process of this the giving the the prize money then there's a percentage that goes to the guy that were on the team the guy that weren't the and the team and the staff so at the end of the day for ten thousand prize money there's like 500 left for us okay pretty much okay. so you don't at the, at the end of the day at the end of the year most of the year i think even if you're in big wins or not you get in between three to five thousand of prize money a year and a half later so okay yeah you, okay you, so not, you mostly it, rely on your i would say what i call base salary it's comparing to the you know industry in a way um so yeah, yeah. you you have and is that correct that it comes from you said the team budget which is pretty much what the sponsor, the sponsor or the gives. name sponsor gives so that you, yeah. you basically on tv every time you guys are racing yeah pretty much like uh you the groupama fdg i think us we have a budget around that 20 millions ish so 90 of the budget is for salary basically okay fast okay. salary and uh traveling because all of the rest is pretty much sponsored by other all of our other sponsors. Yeah. Okay. And there's cool. there's usually it depends on the race. All the world tour money, all the world tour races are, I think most there there's like money for for traveling and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, most uh, most of the salary is made for most of the 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 budget is for salary. Okay, perfect. So uh, that answers it very well because I was checking the prize money. I was like, "Fuck!" If you don't win a race, are you just like homeless because you can't, yeah. you don't make money? No, so There's the, the base salary, which, which of course <laughs> makes sense. Otherwise, you wouldn't be suffering that much on the bike for nothing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much it is the 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 average salary in the peloton because it really depends on the team. And sometimes, like guys, there's guys that have huge value they made huge money from one like from one good race they get into a smaller team they can't they they went and they make massive salary for a few years and mm -hmm. like you're like how this guy making this much when there's a really like huge gap in between riders sometimes that you don't really know why so there's guy that made huge money their whole life and others that were really great winning races and were underpaid the whole career because Yeah, all the salary of, of are not known, and people play on that. And you can, if you market yourself well, well, good for you. Awesome, perfect. So I guess you will be running out of time very soon. I still have three questions left. Super quick. Uh, one, I made a quick calculation using that amazing Pro Cycling Stats website. How many times do you think, if we only take your race uh, kilometers, so kilometers that you you did uh, racing, not training? as soon as you turn professional until today if you were to do trips back and forth where you were born and where you live now in france how many back and forth trip could you make with all those kilometers that you accumulated hmm so between saguenay in canada and uh i'll say so the that's about i'm about six thousand k from there I don't know the average of racing. I had a few small year with the injuries, so but I, I don't know. I think I might have an average of six thousand k a year at least. So yeah, probably in the, 
in between eight to ten back and forward uh, to my hometown, something like that. So are you also a mathematician because it's exactly eight or seven point nine seven or something like that, yeah. back and forth <laughs> between the Alps and uh, and and Saguenay in, in Canada. Um, <laughs> if you were to meet today the fifteen-year-old uh, Antoine, what would you tell him? If you have one advice you could give him. Ah, do uh, enjoy enjoy the chance you have and uh, make the best of uh, every opportunity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, try to 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 give the give your best and your best chance, and yeah, stay stay focused. Awesome. Uh, last one. It's uh, I don't have the 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 English for that. Um, but anyway, it's something like: Is there Do you know two people in your you know, uh, network of friends and or family that are athletes and that you think I should interview? Hopefully one man, one woman, one in cycling, one in a, in a different sport. Two people that you think will be great people to, uh, to host here. Um, I think uh, you should... Uh, my... My sister-in-law is quite interesting, Magalie Rochette, that she's a pro in uh, cyclocross. She has her own okay. team. She's a few times top 10 in the world uh, in cyclocross. And yeah, she has her own company. She managed her own team with, uh, with her husband. And they do everything together and they do everything quite right. Uh, yeah, she's uh, quite interesting and quite yeah, inspiring. That. Uh, quite busy as well, so I don't know if uh, you'll get the chance to have her on your podcast. <laughs> she hasn't retired yet, you. like me. Okay, okay, okay. So if she has some time off, or maybe later on in a couple of months or years from now. And the guy, I'm from putting another... you on the spot right now. <laughs> if you backtrack afterwards, you're like fuck that, I'm not gonna put you in touch with them. That's fine too. It's just I want to be uh, also inspired and see who I should, uh, you know, reach out to because you know someone in cyclocross didn't cross my mind yet. So that 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 could be you know a great introduction if if yeah. if it's something. But and uh, another athlete, uh, um, who uh, do I have interesting? Um, I don't know. I'll think about it. How I, uh, okay. I, I can, I, I can take. Oh, I can it's worse because you had a lot of uh, you had a lot of uh, French um, French teammates. I have a, a friend. It's called Bart. He has another. It has the same type of podcast, but with French athletes. It's called Extraterrien. So if it's some, it's okay. if it's some French person, I'll just you know send him over to uh, to Bart. Actually, Bart was a great help in launching this podcast. So uh, it will be okay. the least I can do to. Uh, help him so if you have anyone from uh, you know your experience uh, at Groupe MFDG or anyone else uh, we'll think about it we will uh, communicate afterwards all right all right all right uh, last very last question sorry it was four instead of three I'm sorry um, I'm building a wall of fame at my cottage up north uh, do you have by any chance any jersey left from your experience or anything I can buy have you signed and put you in some sort of a, a frame so I'm going to build my wall of fame with all the the athletes that I interview Yeah, sure. I can uh, I can find uh, some piece of uh, some piece of Perfect. clothing for sure. So we'll coordinate that, and I'll send you some sort of a pre-stamped stuff to send to Canada <laughs> to All have right. this uh, this table. Awesome! Right. Thank you so much, uh, Antoine. Uh, it's been a, a blast talking to you. Um, any closing comment from you? No, thanks. Keep it up. It's a good interview. Good podcast. I hope you you make it. Awesome! Thank you so much, Antoine. 
Talk soon. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So, if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life! <laughs> <laughs>